0: Phil is a failed skydiver and a bear, sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks
1: a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Ben the
2: guests alcohol, BHP
1: Town Hall.
0: Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all, it's PHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol,
3: BHP Town Hall.
0: Hello everybody, welcome to episode 36 of PHP Town Hall. Um, it's currently February 2nd, uh, 2015, and, uh, and we've got some awesome guests today. We have... Uh, Matthew wierle did I get that right? MWOP on the internet? You <laughs> got that wrong, didn't I? Um, I and we're also, we're also joined by Harry KT, who is uh, known from Aura and around the PHP community in general. So uh, if you'd like to start off by, I guess, introducing yourselves. Uh, Matt, start with, start with you.
3: Hi, I'm Matthew. I have been around uh, PHP for... Too long <laughs> i think since 2000 or thereabouts i started with php3 i've been working with uh, zend for almost 10 years now um started off on the ABIS team but uh, quickly moved over to the zen framework team i was involved with the development of zen framework one and then two and now we're working on three and
0: uh also app agility as uh one of the projects i lead uh so carry on harry uh, tell us about yourself oh
2: uh, yeah i'm harry I have been working with PHP for more than five years. Um, um, I have a small contributor. I have contributed uh, very little to open source. Um, basically, I started with uh, lithium. Uh, before that I started with learning send framework one, but it was very really difficult for me at that particular time. So I write my first blog about how to start send framework one. That is why i how I started to an open source project, basically. It was in 2009 and later I moved to Lithium because it was having lots of uh, PHP 5.3 namespaces and I want to learn something different. So then Lithium, then I moved to Aura in 2011, I guess. and I have been there for quite some time.
0: Nice. You've you've clearly contributed enough to get a t-shirt out of the deal. So you can't be doing too badly. Sorry? (laughs) Sorry, accents are going to be a trouble for me. I'll try and slow down a bit. Uh, You've clearly contributed enough to get a free Aura t-shirt out of the deal, so can't be doing too bad there.
2: Uh, Actually, I bought this one (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just to be in a conference so I can promote Aura.
0: (laughs) Very nice, very nice.
2: (laughs) So at least it can be seen today.
0: This is a really uninteresting conversation for our uh, for our listeners on iTunes because they can't see shit. But I am currently wearing a CircleCI T-shirt. Um, so once again, we're just practicing at having sponsors on the show. If you guys would like to throw us some money, happy to sing some praises about CircleCI.
1: Our sponsor this week actually is what I'm wearing. It's uh, the PHP Town Hall because <laughs> I'm an egotistical <laughs> man.
0: So we're all we're all currently an advertisement for somebody. Uh, and what? Where? Uh, where's your? Where's your? Uh,
1: it's his underwear. Please don't show us.
0: up. Sorry, man. <laughs> you are the most professional-looking out of the whole thing. Again, cracking conversation for people listening on audio. Uh, <laughs> so I was about to move on, and then I realised that I've lost the list of uh, of questions. Ben, do you want to take over here? All right. Yeah. Let's do this. So
1: uh, let's start with uh, Harry. You are uh, you recently left, Aura. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what got you involved with Aura in particular and what eventually led to you deciding to leave the project?
2: Um, actually, um, my wife got a kid. I, I and my wife got a kid, so uh, I think I will not be getting more time uh, contributing to open source. Um, and <laughs> uh, apart from that, uh, I have... Uh, a small issues with the framework, Um, not as a library, uh, because um, I was uh, interested into having an event handler or something like um, a middleware in the framework. So in the version two framework, uh, it was removed. So basically, I was not interested in that way. So that's one of the (laughs) reasons.
3: Okay. All so, right. so I
2: left,
1: uh, for those that don't know, Aura yeah. is a it's a framework, but it's also just a collection of packages, and the framework is basically yeah. gluing those packages together. So, yeah. was it that that package was removed, or you just didn't like the way the framework was gluing things together?
2: Um, there are a few things uh, I think uh, can be improved, but
1: uh, okay, uh, that's cool. We don't yeah. have to go any deeper. That's cool. Um, I don't wanna I don't wanna start another internet fight. Phil, Phil does enough of that.
3: Actually, Matthew, where, where are you based? Uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, basically uh, halfway between uh, Boston and uh, Seattle.
0: Ah, not. Right, right in the middle there. Yes. <laughs> so actually, this this uh, episode has been tentatively named PSR7 and the World of Tomorrow. Um, and that's half a joke because right now, Harry is actually in the World of Tomorrow. It's, it's uh, Monday here and, and Tuesday there. So 10 and a half hour time zone difference between New York and here it was a little bit fun to organize a podcast around, but hopefully we actually all managed to make it if his internet comes back. <laughs>
1: uh, so right, look- well, In the meantime, uh, Matthew, mm-hmm. so you, uh, you were on the fig and then you quit, and now you're back as a, an editor, right? What right. kind of prompted that evolution or... Orchestra, or do you want to phrase
3: it? Uh, well, what it came down to was uh, we were building a prototype of Agility in Node over the summer, and uh, we were—I was uh, really surprised. I, I basically was able to recreate the uh, entire uh, capabilities of the engine within the space of a week in Node. Uh, and of course, you know, we had a head start; we knew what we were trying to build. Uh, but the, the, it was still amazing to me. And a big part of that was uh, the HTTP messages were there. And because of that, things have evolved within the community kind of naturally. There were a number of middleware libraries, a lot of uh, functionality that focuses on those messages. For instance, for the content negotiation, there's all sorts of different things that you can just plug in there, pop in your request, and you get something back out. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I'd love to have this in PHP. And so I decided to start uh, porting Senses Connect over to PHP and uh, got stuck immediately on, oh, well, what about those HTTP messages? Those are kind of cool. And uh, remember that there's PSR 7. So I started writing to them. Uh, I got kind of excited about them and came onto the list to indicate that uh, I think they would be useful for server-side applications in particular. And um, not realizing that uh, Michael Dowling had just stepped down as editor. So uh, good timing. Yeah, and, and true open source. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if nobody else is there, you're it. So uh, I took over as editor at that
1: point. All right, cool. And um, that's the PSR 7, which
0: is the HTTP objects, right? All right. I- that's the interfaces, technically. Okay. So one question I've got that's not actually on the list um, is you were saying that you looked at kind of existing Node.js code that was around um, and, and used that, and that's what gave you the idea for kind of doing it in PHP and doing it via the standard. Um, okay. Something One of the few reasons I think that uh, Michael Dowling actually stepped down was that he felt that this is one of a couple of things, um, I, I hope I'm getting it right, but uh, it's one of the a couple of things that he feels like the fig was kind of up to that, could really just be one de facto standard package, right? Instead of us trying to make a um, a standard for HTTP client, people should just use Guzzle. Instead of trying to worry about PSR3, people should use, just use Monologue. Um, and that's kind of the way it goes in in some other languages where the ecosystem is a lot smaller. So you look at Node.js and people kind of congregate around these existing packages because originally there was nothing there, and then someone started working on it, Then someone else thought, oh, I'd quite like this stuff as well, so they kind of help out whereas in php we just have a hundred thousand different things that all do roughly the same thing and everyone kind of builds their own and no one really comes together to work on these things so
3: out a note too i mean if you search for you know content negotiation or authentication or anything like that you're going to find dozens if not you know
0: hundreds sometimes
3: depending on what you're looking at so it's definitely that the ecosystem is such there that it's similar to uh, php uh, particularly with composer if you take a look at it i'd say there's roughly equivalent in terms of duplication okay
0: that's a cool way to look at it i mean in that case why do you think that a standard is kind of a better way to attack this than just trying to make a package and hope that everyone uses that one right
3: so uh, i think there's a couple things you know uh michael was very much interested in guzzle clearly i mean he's the, the principal author on it um that's great that's Perfect for client situations, but I was also looking at it from HTTP messages. There's two aspects to it. One, you're a client sending a request and getting a response back. The other is you're a server and you're getting a request and sending a response back. And so it's the two different sides of the equation, uh, two different sides of where the messages are going. He was interested in the client side primarily I came in looking at it from, hey, you know, these would also be useful for server-side, except for there's a few little other aspects that we may need for server-side because of CVI and other things. So to my thinking, we could have something that addressed both. And he wasn't really interested in the server-side aspect, but he was interested in, hey, why doesn't everybody just use Guzzle? Which is great. Guzzle is fantastic. On the flip side, if we have something like uh, an abstract interface that we've all agreed upon, Then other clients can exist, so people can be simpler clients that maybe don't need to have all the plugins and all that stuff. Maybe a client that just targets um, uh, uh, curl or another one that just targets streams or whatever the case may be. But on the server side, it also means that things start to evolve out of there. And the way I like to put it is middleware naturally evolves when we have really good HTTP messages. It just does. Uh, And that's what's happened with Node. It's what happened with Whiskey. It's what happened with Rack. Middleware just evolves from there. So for me, if we have the shared interface, it means that these things will start to evolve. It also means that if we get frameworks involved, and this is the framework interop group, right? If we get the frameworks involved and they start adopting it, it means that we can write code that targets PSR7 and not Symfony, not Laravel, not Zen Framework. We're targeting PSR7, and now we can share it. It doesn't matter which framework you're using. You can share it across any one of those. We don't have these framework-specific components for you know, doing content negotiation or sending a REST or a response or whatever the case may be. We just have, this is a web widget that does this, and it's middleware, and I can plug it in anywhere. And that's why I think the shared interface is an, a very important aspect to this. And the reason that Rack and WSGI and uh, Node have taken you know to the world by storm in many ways, the reason that they've done so well is because they have this very discrete specification of what do the HTTP messages look like.
0: Do you think that one of the reasons that it's only kind of these framework specific implementations that have evolved so far in PHP comes down to a lot of people are kind of fine with just using the, the built-in PHP CGI stuff, right? Like for a lot of the use cases, just uh, just looking at the uh, get and, and post super globals and occasionally looking in like file get contents, PHP input, like this stuff kind of works. It's already there, so we can just go with it. Whereas in other languages, like that stuff isn't there. You have to rely on Rack or these other more modern, you know, built systems. Is that kind of why we have this discrepancy between other languages having nice ones and us kind of having either crusty built into the language or framework specific solutions?
3: Uh, yeah. So it, it is a really good point. You know, when you look at these others, um, they don't have something built in. Now that's an interesting point though, is that if you look at Perl, they came up with piggy which is similar to Whiskey. Um, and what I'm seeing is that, uh, essentially they said CGI that PM is not enough. We want to be able to model these as messages, as what they actually are. So when I look at the messages, what we get are easy access to headers and we don't have to do any of that weird translation crap of you know making it lowercase, changing underscore to uh, um, hyphens, that sort of crap that we have throughout all that. We don't have to worry about some headers not being prefixed with HTTP. Um, we don't have to worry about how do we get a the request method. We don't have to worry about how do we get a three request URI. That stuff just comes for us. And that's the idea with the abstraction. PHP tries to simplify some of that, but I'm going to be honest, it does a piss poor job because it's still targeting CGI. And because of that, if I want to be able to get out a URI in a cross-platform way, I have to know about 15 or 20 different pieces of information about the request in order to figure that out. And that should just be something that's there. I shouldn't have to try and calculate it. Um, the other part uh, to that is, you know, like I said, headers, uh, getting at the messages. This is another thing. PHP actually does a brilliant job with this because it's modeled it as a stream since 4.1, but we don't think of it as a stream. We think of it as I grab, you know, the content, and we should be thinking of it as a stream because if we think of the request message as a thing stream we start thinking of the response message as a stream and we start figuring out how can we aggregate this in the same fashion. And the fact of the matter is that's what the frameworks have been doing since 2005, is that we've been modeling them as objects all of this time because we need to work around the problems of PHP. So why don't we have a specification for this? And the goal then is if we have a specification, hopefully then we'll get people like uh, Elizabeth Marie Smith already volunteering to take PSR 7 into an extension and then it becomes part of the language. But we need to be able to agree on what that looks like. And that's where I think this is a really important aspect of uh, FIG, is that we're going and we're getting all these opinions and coming up with something that's really, really solid.
0: I feel like that's, that's a strong point. I hadn't actually realized that you've been talking to Elizabeth, where, you know trying to make it an extension, um, is that a lot of people complain about the FIG because we're trying to push our standards onto everyone. Um, and I think what's interesting is, we have some fairly big players in the PHP world uh, you know, coming together and usually agreeing on stuff, agreeing in a loose sense of the word. But uh, we are at least kind of hashing out with a little bit of blood spill uh, a way of doing these things. Um, and I feel like if, if the larger projects that have a lot of skin in the game should be able to, to come together and agree on a standard, that's a fairly good start for you know doing something like making an RFC. Um, so if PHP needs these features, the way that a lot of the PHP RFC stuff works is unless you've got code, then fuck off with your ideas. So a lot of people end up building the RFC um, kind of ready to go or mostly ready to go, or at least a working prototype. Um, They build all the code and then try and do an RFC for it. And that's just one person trying to make an RFC that hasn't necessarily been used that much. And and we're actually in the fig using it to, to kind of run a lot of, a lot of our frameworks. So I feel like, yeah, going fig first and then trying to standardize later might be a really interesting thing for PSR 7, and probably more PSR 7 than any existing PSR, right? I, I really wouldn't want to see any of the autoloaders in there. Um,
3: the, the autoloaders the implementations can change, um, and even with the autoloaders it was interesting because we tried actually to get um, a version of PSR 0 in at one point, and um, they were saying, oh, you know, we already have this autoload. And if you look at SPL um, autoload, it has something similar to PSR zero, except for it's everything's lowercase because they're like, oh, it needs to be case insensitive. Um, <laughs> uh, like, who, who does that? Um, but it's, that was one of the things that they, they said now, um, as a result of them not having it, there have been several iterations on it that have gotten increasingly better because people have seen the different performance implications and figured out how to make them uh, faster. And really what it came down to is that PSR 0 and PSR 4 are actually really, really horrible uh, in terms of performance. But then when you go to a class map, it's a lot better. Uh, and that's something I discovered quite a long time ago. But uh, what uh, we couldn't figure out was how to automate making that class map. And that's what you know Composer was able to do. So in many ways... We don't need anything like that, but PSR7, this is language level stuff because we are a web language, right? So we need to be able to take this HTTP stuff and make it as easy as possible for users.
0: Uh, So another question I had, um, this this is one of those episodes that's just like super nerdy into PSRs, so if other people don't care about them so much, then I'm sorry. Yeah, this is
1: basically like a a real legit interview episode. We don't have those very often, but I think they're enjoyable. But it's kind of a, it was kind
0: of the idea originally. As, as well prepared that I actually thought I was this time, um, things are just going wrong all over the place. Harry vanished for a minute or 12. Uh, I forgot everyone's name immediately. That was a good start. And now there's uh, cat. Now there's Catfish.
1: All right, so uh, back on topic. We have a question from Sammy K. Does psr 7 take HTTP slash 2 into consideration, or would it even be affected?
3: No. Uh, uh, HTTP2 is mainly about the transport layer and how uh, it's about things like compression and how do we make transportation of the HTTP messages uh, faster and easier. For the most part, the messages are exactly the same. Uh, it really won't affect uh, PSR 7 at this point. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit more in-depth just to see if there's any uh, you know little pieces here and there that uh, may have impact. But what I've seen so far in a broad overview, I'm not
0: seeing anything that's going to affect this. Uh, another question uh, that we had was uh, about mutability. Um, so, uh, PSR7 used to be, some of it was mutable and some of it was immutable. Uh, could you explain what the trouble there was and then maybe say how that's been fixed?
3: Sure. Uh, so, when you look at uh, you know, the implementations in different languages, most of them are either structs, which are usually uh, read-, uh, read only. Or they are fully mutable, such as nodes, HTTP messages. Uh, and that's fully mutable simply because the, the language doesn't support any other way, right? Um, we were taking a look and how how we could uh, implement these. And uh, somebody actually before me had said, you yeah, know, these are value objects. And uh, what it came down to is there's some arguing on the list about, you know, we shouldn't be read only. They shouldn't be something I should be able to uh, alter on the state because then course of a request when it comes in this is the request and so i shouldn't be able to alter that to over the course of the uh, application lifecycle, um and that has a, a lot of merit uh, when it comes down to it on the flip side you've got things such as the uh, body parameters which you need to parse so you've got a json body uh it's not the same as post right so i can't just go in and dollar underscore post and have it because that's not going to work i need to be able to parse this somehow um, a few people brought up uh, cookie encryption, which may or may not be a good idea, but if you are using it, if your framework depends on it, there needs to be some way of decrypting the cookie as it comes in so that you can actually access the value uh, and not have to uh, have some sort of an intermediary in place. Uh, so there are a number of uh, pieces in there that people really felt like it was necessary to go and uh, make it mutable, And yet at the same time, there's a, a really large contingent, a vocal contingent who really wanted to have uh, immutable objects because they said we're met, we're modeling value objects. And value objects, one of the ideas behind the value object is that it's identified by its Entirety, and therefore it has to be mutable. If you change any value within it, the entire value changes. Um, so anyway, we tried a couple of different iterations. The first one was fully mutable. The the next iteration uh, we had was um, what we called selective mutability. Uh, essentially, what we had was an incoming request was immutable, uh, an incoming response for a client was immutable, and then the outgoing variants were mutable, um, which was all nice and dandy. But then we had, like, a plethora of interfaces and it was getting really, really hard to figure out what was going on. Uh, I finally decided to give value objects a try uh, and realized quickly that they actually weren't all that hard and in fact, uh, they gave us fluent interfaces, which a lot of people hate, but in this case, it's fluent interfaces for a very good reason in that every uh, method you call that is mutating is actually returning the new instance. And so that fluent interface basically gets rid of the intermediary instances and you capture uh, on assignment once. Um, I found when I was playing with uh, Conduit, which is my port of uh, Connect to PHP, um, I found, interestingly enough, as I was making it work with immutable objects, I discovered a whole bunch of architectural problems I had within it, and I only uncovered those because the objects were value objects and were immutable at this point. And I was able to solidify the design, uh, improve the uh, design so that uh, it's more predictable, it's um, more robust and it actually removed a shit ton of code which was awesome uh and so that for me was like proof that this could work uh and then uh larry garfield went and he developed uh just a, a little proof concept called stacker which is uh, basically trying to take the ideas of stack hp which is a middleware idea uh, more than anything it's an idea um, and use psr7 to build this and he was able to do it with this and actually found again, the same things I was finding was that it uh, influenced architectural decisions, made them easier. And he was able to implement something that was really robust very quickly. Um, so that's where we've gone. We've gone to uh, using these value objects. Uh, immutability is an aspect of value objects for us. Uh, and that's where we are today right now. Um, we're not actually seeing a whole lot of debate on that at this point. Um, a few uh, outliers out there, but for the most part, people are uh, picking it up and saying, how, hey, this makes a lot of sense. I look at it. I understand how it works. Uh, and the big gotcha is remembering to assign. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those things as you work with it, it becomes very easy and natural. So um, another kind of
1: sort of follow-up question that at least your conversation may think of, is, uh, so Michael pulled out, basically, but have there been any discussions on Guzzle support for PSR-7? Since Guzzle does kind of own the market right now. You know,
3: I don't know. <laughs> he every now and then will pop up in the list and argue uh, you know, a point here and there. And uh, his feedback is always spot on. It's uh, really good feedback. Uh, he indicated about the time he left that uh, he would never implement PSR-7 in Guzzle. That said, I think um, we're zeroing in on something that is, I mean, it's really not that far different from what he has in uh, Guzzle. The the main difference is the immutability at this point. And even then, it's not gonna be a huge change uh, to, to work on. Um, I suspect there'll be enough pressure to make it PSR7 compliant from even uh, users and uh, contributors that uh, you know, he'll probably do it at some point, but I don't know for sure. Um, like I said, he's on record as saying that uh, he never will, But if the fact that he's still involved in the discussions, to me, I think, is a very hopeful sign. Okay. Okay. Um, this is this next question is probably one for both of you,
1: but um, Harry, I'm going to throw it to you. Earlier, you mentioned kind of the focus on middlewares. What kind of middlewares are you excited about seeing with uh, PSR seven being around?
2: Actually, um, both Simons and uh, peeped into Aura channel once, and he was talking about uh, Stack PHP and wiring the router with the HTTP kernel interface. So at that particular time, I was thinking, oh, I want to uh, install all these symphony components, because the kernel itself have HTTP foundation as a, a required one. So I thought, uh, I, I didn't like the idea of um, that particular uh, importing the STP kernel I mean symphony kernel um, to make a middleware or maybe I didn't understand and I have an, I have a, um, I used to check the slides once um, uh, the conferences are over so I was looking through one of the slides from him and understand uh, it seems to be a good idea like stack PHP so I like the idea and was looking and at that particular time Matthew if any, Uh, came with this particular context, the middleware for PHP and the implementations. So uh, that made me think, uh, yeah, this is finally a nice idea about kernel and you can can implement any sort of thing or plug in any other, um, some applications, like for example, a blog, someone written an app uh, about a blog and you can just plug that one, like uh, something like a plugin in WordPress or like a module in, any of the CMS systems. That was one of my interests.
3: And then I think the thing that's cool about the middleware idea is that um, when he says, you know, just plug in those logins here as a system, it's plug in this log into any system. It's not just, you know, Yeah, we have blog plugins for Zen Framework and for Symphony and everything. But this would be anybody. And, you know, as yeah. long as implementing middleware, which I think is amazing. So middleware
1: is actually, for some reason, it's kind of the new idea in PHP, but it's been around in other places for a long time. Do you think, what do you think the reason is that it's just now catching on?
3: It's uh, interesting, because you know, we actually have some very popular middleware uh, solutions in PHP already. Uh, anybody who used Slim has been using middleware. Um, Laravel 5 is going to be mostly middleware-based and is kind of that way. The funny part is, like uh, Bo and Igor have done with Stack, is that really the interfaces that we've developed and especially the version two frameworks very much tend towards middleware. It's taking a request and a response and doing something with it. We have the same uh, type of um, interfaces in framework two where uh, we call it the dispatchable interface and it takes a request and a response and you do something with them. That's middleware. Um, so we've had it along. We just didn't have a name for it. I think that was the big thing. Um, and uh, we weren't really looking outside of our world. You know, Ruby's doing its own thing. We'd like to make fun of Ruby. But you know, Rack is a fantastic idea, uh, and we've drawn inspiration from them before. I heard about Whiskey probably three or four years ago and didn't understand it, <laughs> and now I do. Uh, and it was just one of those things, like, why would I do that? I think part of it, though, is um, when we got closures in PHP finally, this idea became more feasible and more understandable because that's what the examples are in the other languages as well, As you throw a closure at it. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a lot cleaner. To think of doing yeah. it without a closure is kind of
1: kind of nasty-looking.
3: You can do it. And I actually, one of the things I like to do is to do functors. You know, just do a class that has an invoke and that way you can have your dependencies and everything. Uh, But you can just say, you know, here's a variable and it's, you know, acting as if it were a closure at that point for all intents and purposes. Um, You know, internally, that's basically what a closure is. It's a special class with invoke. (laughs) That's all you're doing and it's wrapping the, the code that you write in there. So. Uh, yeah, I think that was one of the th- big things I think that has kind of opened people's I- ideas uh, around it. Um, but then seeing the success in the other languages and what they're able to do, and especially Node. I think Node really, a lot of PHP developers go to Node because it's, it is web. It is fundamentally web, right? And that's what PHP is supposed to be. Ruby and Python, well, yeah, you can do it, right? But JavaScript, hell, that is the web. And uh, so we would go to that. And that since middleware is... How you write things in Node. I think that's uh, where a lot of us are getting the ideas at this point. Interesting. So, also, a lot of people. Oh, go ahead, Harry.
2: Yeah, one other thing uh, I was asking him with um, a code guy. Um, I don't recall his real name because uh, he used the candle of so Framework. Uh, yeah,
1: and he's the current. Uh, yeah, developer. Joshua.
2: So. I was asking him um, when there was a PHP seven, um, seven, P- 7 day, right? 7 PHP, interview with um, him. Yes. Yeah, so in that I was asking what is the difference between an event handler and a middleware. Uh, the main thing is like both, um, both are looking like same. Like a, But uh, one of the idea I understood was the middleware have a particular... Um, and in some sort of interface, like a method defined. So you can you don't know the other um, frameworks, event handlers. Like, for example, the so Symfony may be having a different event handler. But in in the case of a middleware, you know that th- this particular interface is implemented. Uh, in the case of Condit, there is always a middleware interface or an error interface. So you can implement it. Uh, in, a mid- in a middleware, rather than having an event handler. That's one of the uh, difference between an event handler and a middleware coming in a PHP. Do you get what I mean? Kind of, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're saying it's more about the standardization of the input and output? Is that what you're trying to get at? And that it, it doesn't really care what either side has as long as it's the same? Did I completely misunderstand so you?
2: What I was uh, telling was um, in the in the middleware you'll be having certain um sort of um, request and response passing right yeah rather than an event handler having just um, a handle a particular you are sending a signal
0: yeah that makes more sense it's more like a, kind of the onion approach as opposed to random things are happening with random different arguments being passed in you kind of uh, you register a handler and then you you know run Run that handler. Um, with middlewares, it's kind of each thing is just passing it on to the next, passing the request on to the next one, and then passing the response back up. Anywho. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Maybe we'll we can leave it. Um, I just made it complicated.
0: Yeah, it's is a little bit abstract. So trying to make it simple is always a little confusing.
3: I kind of like to think of it uh, in terms of like a command pattern versus fire and forget. A command is you put in some input, you expect something back, whereas an event handler is more you figure it off and who cares what happens, right? <laughs> uh, and that, that's where I think middleware kind of fits in is that it's this it's more of a command pattern that you give it arguments and you expect something back and it's got to be a
0: specific thing. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Um, so, Matthew, in uh, you did a post recently called PSR7 by example, um, and you mentioned Stacker earlier and in this article. Um, so is stacker, more of a proof of concept for PSR7, or is it going to be a competitor that lives on, um, or could it be the two collaborate on something? I
3: I don't know exactly what Larry's uh, goals are for it. I know that uh, the main thing, he's played with it and and created it at first, uh, mainly to show that you can do a stack PHP style uh, middleware solution using the PSR7. Um, I don't know if he intends for it to live on beyond this uh, or uh, if it's just a, a, a proof of concept uh, a sandbox really for him to play, and you'll have to ask him at this point. Um, I do know, you know, I've talked to Bo, Bo actually right now the coordinator for the uh, PSR, uh, and he and I have had uh, some several talks over the last uh, six months. Um, right. he, he's talked about p. He, he would in many ways prefer that it's not built on the, the Symphony kernel uh, and the reason isn't so much that he thinks it's a bad idea or he hates Symfony because he loves Symfony, um, but he feels like the concept of middleware shouldn't be dependent on a single framework. It should be something, it should be a pattern, if anything. And so, you know, I mentioned Krell, uh, or Larry talking about Stacker being an implementation of the PHP style middleware. That's a specific style, and it's more like the Rack style where you uh, the onion thing, versus... Uh, connect where, like you say, where it's passing on to next and you have some sort of callable that's getting passed. It's basically three or four uh, prevalent patterns that you see with middleware. You don't have to have an interface. Interfaces are nice if you want to be all uh, type savvy and everything, but technically you don't need to have the interface. Um, I just added them to Conduit uh, recently, but I don't actually use them in any meaningful way. They're they're only there for if you want to implement something. Uh, you can do it, but they're not necessary in any fashion because the idea is it's a pattern, it's not an interface. Sorry, I was
0: just reading through some other stuff. Um, Phil's actually on Reddit the whole time we're recording. I'm just so arguing so with um, no, I, I was I was both listening and trying to work out what to talk about next. Um this is another one of those uh, one of those episodes where I look really stoned. I don't know why I keep looking like I've been smoking a whole bunch of weed when I'm recording these things. But uh, it could be
1: all the, the brownies you've been eating.
0: Then also, oh, I eat. should stop buying them from the guy around the corner, and maybe from a proper bakery would be a good start. That's, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty tired recently. I I went snowboarding yesterday. I was up at five o'clock in the morning, and I managed. To yeah, climb. so I cracked. This is a actually, puck puck a good side. I saw
1: your tweets. right?
0: Uh, so were you on your ass or your feet more? I mean, I, I managed to land on everything at some point, quite harshly. Um, I think I gave myself a whiplash. My shoulders hurt. I don't know where that came from. My How's arms, rib? my hands. Um, but I managed to land, going down a blue on a snowboard. I'm shit right. at snowboarding. I'm a skier. Um, but I managed to land. I punched myself in the chest <laughs> as I landed and cracked my rib on my hand. I heard it go. Which, you actually you cracked it, you think? Yeah, yeah. I've cracked ribs before. I know what they feel oh, like. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Bastard. Yeah, I snowboarded when I was
1: younger, and so I was like, "Oh, it's easy shit, right?" Because it was easy when I was young. It was like, uh, "Whatever, right?" And I'm, I'm not old, right? But when I say young, I mean teenager. And uh, so I went after ski PHP last year, and I just, I just fucking abused myself. Like I, I hurt for days. I couldn't even barely type for some reason. I don't know what I did to my hand, but I could barely type for like a week. <laughs> <sighs>
0: That's no good. It's no good at all. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, uh, that's a young man's game, Phil. We have to ski now. I was, yeah, absolutely. I was at work today and I got in and um, I was stood at my standing desk because I'm, I'm one of those guys now. But just like Matt, I'm, you know, copying him. Um, I stood at my standing desk. like a nice, you know, fruit smoothie and... Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: cow shake. You know,
0: if you're doing broth do now in New York, right? <laughs> oh God, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, boat, Chicken bone broth is all the rage. Uh, no, i stood at my desk because standing up hurt a bit but sitting down I hurt my ass a whole bunch more. I had no idea what I should do. Um, and then after like lunch, I was like, you know what, guys, I'm gonna go and lie in bed. And then I fell asleep during a meeting. We had like a whole engineering team uh, you know, uh, Google Hangout meeting, and I genuinely fell asleep in the meeting. So if I look stoned, it's because- So
1: you are, you are um,
0: moving up ranks in that company already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing really well. Doing really well. Uh, Matt, how long have you been standing at your desk?
3: Uh, Two years, a little over two years. How was that working out? Uh, great. Yeah. So, you still that area was weight? What's the kind of motivation behind it? Uh, it was actually my lower back. Uh, I'm in my 40s, yeah, so uh, my back was starting to hurt. So I started doing the standing to see if it would help, and you know, I don't have any back problems anymore, so...
0: Nice, Harry. What's your uh, office situation? Are you have you joined the cool kids with standing up?
2: Um, no, I'm sitting. <laughs> I'm not standing.
0: Yeah, um, there's a lot of people with a lot of so, quirky things. They have like boards they balance on and everything.
2: Uh, no, I don't have any something like that. Uh, I'm basically working from my home, so it's a small room. <laughs> Do you actually like work uh, well, on
1: the Sun because your room is incredibly bright?
2: Yeah, the sunlight <laughs> is coming from
0: the window Oh, It's, it. for
1: you. it's dark outside for me. So yeah,
0: it's weird. Okay. We started at 830 So I assume the Sun has risen even further and now it's just blinding <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Nice. So,
2: so and it's very that, uh,
1: disordered.
3: The books so, are okay.
1: Matthew tried to discreetly stand up in the middle of that conversation, but I
0: saw uh-huh. you,
3: Matthew. I've been sitting for a while, so.
0: I'm just curled up on a beanbag right now, so that's the uh, the only, the, de- the table I was uh, recording from last time has been taken by my turtle tank. So I have to just sit on this beanbag now. So I think everyone's very interested in you and your turtle. No one gives a shit. About my live turtle. tweeting? I've worked out from Twitter that no one gives a <laughs> shit about my turtle. I'm very excited. I haven't had a pet in years, but apparently everyone wants me to shut up talking about it. So I will. So that. I used to have a
1: turtle, and he he was a little asshole. And anytime I walked in the room, he would go hide in his little house. Oh. So I owned a turtle that I never saw. I just saw like the water move when
0: I was smell it. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, do you want to talk about yours, or is it too soon? Because sounds like yeah,
1: Matt has a heart wrenching
3: turtle story. We're told.
0: I actually had two. They were the, uh, the red eared slider turtles,
3: and uh, I named them uh, Lucy and Sally, you know, after the the Peanuts characters. And uh, <laughs> Lucy, about two months in, or thereabouts, uh, got some sort of infection, and you know, I woke up and she's belly up one day. So that that sucked. And then uh, a few months later. <laughs> You know, one of my jobs. You know, if I'm going to have turtles, and my my parents are like, "Well, you're going to take care of them," and so yeah, once a week you have to go and scrub out the uh, uh the the tank. So that means that you take the turtle out, and you know they they're aquatic, so you need to have them in water. So I'd have the styrofoam container, and I'd put water in there, and I'd put Sally in there, and then go and dump the tank and clean it out, clean all the rocks and all that jazz. So it was uh, winter. I lived in Montana. It got a little cold in the house, and so the, the water is probably like you know fifty or sixty degrees. And uh, water out of the bathtub was pretty warm, <laughs> and so I put her in there, not even thinking, and went and cleaned it. And I go back afterwards, um, and I'm nine. Remember this? I'm like nine years old, right? And I open up the the tank, and here's this poor turtle soup, you know. No, it's it's just heartrending. My dad did a, a radio show at the uh, campus. Uh, and he was up that night. It was a Tuesday night because I was when he did the show, and I like, yeah, I had to call him. So he's like having to put on like a 20-minute track so that he can like console his poor child whose turtle has just died, while he's doing you know, <laughs> do a regular radio show. So. Oh, that, <laughs> that, would that. horrible. That it was. It didn't sucked. expect to be sad tonight. That was a sad story.
1: but was a, a sad story. So also, do them. not keep your turtle in a bathtub with hot
0: water. No, the, hot, the It's it's fine if it's a bit warm. It's just the the sudden change of uh, temperature. I think buggers yeah. the
3: It's like a thirty or forty degree change in temperature. Right? So it's yeah. a total shock to the turtle system. I understand oh, yeah. now. At nine, I was like inconsolable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, like I said, this thing's like thirty dollars. So I guess I'll get over it. But um, I've called him Stowford. Uh, after my favorite cider, which, of course, nobody I've told in America knows what the fuck I'm talking about. Stoufford's a lovely West Country cider, which very popular there and not here. But um, yeah, he's going strong. I've bought him a guppy, so he's just chasing chasing that around. Oh, is he eating it yet? Uh, I, I haven't checked in the last hour, but I don't think no? so.
1: No, I bought mine uh, probably three or four, and it it was a couple weeks, and I was like, oh, look, he's like he's a pacifist turtle. And then I wake up one morning and, like, all the fish are dead.
0: They're just gone, <laughs> Got it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're going to make friends for a while, and then one day he's going to fuck that fish up. So, yeah. <laughs> it's it a on. long play. It's a long play, absolutely. Uh, so moving on to uh, what might be an even more depressing topic, but at least it's PHP-related once again. Um, so kind of done with the PSR-7 stuff, I've asked you all I can possibly think to ask. Yeah. Um, sure. How do you guys feel about the PSR, uh, the RFC for Scalar Type hints? the newest version? There's been a few iterations of it in the past. Um, Andrea's had a couple of, uh, of, of versions of it. What do you think about the newest one? And I'll start with you, Matthew. Uh, I love
3: it. Uh, so I came to uh, PHP from Perl. And uh, basically, you know, you learned within about a year that if you don't have the uh, taint and... Uh, um, strict flags on, basically, you're fucked. <laughs> so, uh, and I said that word just now specifically for Gary Hawken, who said I wasn't supposed to say that word. No, uh, it was fun. So this uh, is actually uh, a little bit of history here
1: with our last episode with Gary. We had someone that uh, complained about our use of the word fuck. Rightfully so, probably, because we probably had a good hundred times an episode
0: of the word fuck, you know but uh it was kind of the running gag so that's why gary told you that and then someone gave us 10 bucks because we made him laugh so hard the same person that was offended ended up giving us money so that was pretty funny
1: yeah so he was very cool about it but uh admittedly we probably do say fuck a little more than we fucking should but you know fuck's a nice word so fuck it
0: okay calm down limp biscuit uh back to (laughs) back to the discussion
3: so yeah so yeah pearl they just make a lot of sense, and I love the way <laughs> he has done this. Is that you know it's basically per file, which is the same way it is in Perl. You you know you say yeah, I want to use strict, and then it's for that file. It's not for the entire application. It's for that file and the code in that file. And I love that because it means that I now have a specific understanding of how the code in here is supposed to work, and I know that it will work that way because you know the the engine says it will. Uh, I, I love this idea, um, and I love to particularly the write-up she did showing how she took her own project and said, okay, I'm going to implement this in here and see what happens. And she discovered you know, five or six different things in her application that she would have never discovered any other way. And that's exactly the experience I had with Perl is you throw on strict and all of a sudden you're like, oh wow, why did this even work in the first place? It shouldn't have. And you go and you fix it. And I think that's just brilliant. And And if nothing else, as a code quality tool, I think it's going to be huge.
0: Yeah, so I probably should have mentioned what the, the change was in, in the kind of 0.3 of this RFC. So for anyone not paying close attention to uh, PHP internals for interest in your heart and stress levels and blood pressure, um, the, ver- the latest version of this uh, RFC basically uses a declare statement, which is a statement not used very much in PHP. It's something, something ticks, who knows. But you just type declare, open brackets, strict, underscore, types, equals one and that's a one not a a one in a string (laughs) and uh and it will mean that any function you call from that file and that file alone will give you a recoverable error if you pass in something that does not meet the type in in that function call now am i just really sleep deprived did that make any sense or is that um it basically being an optional thing is quite cool because a lot of the concerns were, especially from Rasmus and other internal people and other users of the language, that if version seven just randomly throws in scalar type pins and all of a sudden you try passing a float into an integer um, and that used to work, then PHP is going to freak out. It's going to lose a lot of its, uh, a lot of its beginner user base. It's going to be more difficult and require more learning and, and various other problems. Um, but if it's an optional enableable thing on a file by file basis, then that theoretically will mean as developers grow and learn about stripped type hinting and learn that they want it, then they can enable it. If they don't, then they don't have to enable it, and then everything's fine and everyone wins,
1: right? Yeah, I think it'd be an optional. is kind of the key, like the really key feature there because PHP's always been big on, you know, let's go fast and let with types, and you do whatever you want, we'll try to figure it out. And, uh, yeah, but it's... It's like more dynamic than the most dynamic languages, even <laughs> in my experience. It's kind of a like at least JavaScript will give you an odd number if you try to do something too stupid, right? PHP will just be like, oh, that's a one every fucking time, except this one time it's zero, you know. But I think it's really cool that it's it's optional, so that those of us that do realize the benefits can take advantage of that. But it still doesn't break backwards compatibility in most cases. Um, so that's I think that makes it a great feature to add to the language.
3: Well I think the argument that you know we're dynamically typed language so why do we need to have this I think is moot because it's been around in Perl forever right and it hasn't changed Perl from being a dynamically typed language It just made it so that you can program safer
1: Yeah exactly it's uh, it's going to be huge for I mean even personal coding you know you get sloppy you don't always realize what you're passing in you don't always check the type and uh, it'd be nice if that was caught somewhere.
0: Something I found since working with Go is that it can be pretty cool to have straight types. Um, it, it really catches you out a lot of the time. And things like return type ins as well have been really good. The, the number of unit tests that I have to write in PHP to make sure that things are kind of, uh, the, the, you know, returning the right type of value and the number of guard statements that I have to write in my methods to make sure that something's an integer or a float or whatever. The amount of code that you write in the test that you write is such a pain in the balls when you could just say... In And then you know for a fact that it's an int. If your application even runs, then it's going to be an int. And you can use um, you can use static tools to check that stuff, which is pretty handy. Because right now they have to try and rely on uh, doc blocks. So Scrutinizer does that. And Scrutinizer will look through and say, okay, you've said that this should be an integer, but really it's actually something else. And that's pretty complicated to, to actually get right. And the amount of time that doc blocks are actually correct in a lot of projects is another problem. So... I mean, relying on a comment to see if your code should be a thing is great until someone changes the code and forgets about the comment. So seeing this built into the language, I think will will be great, especially if it's optional.
2: Yeah. Uh, one of my friends uh, was um, loving the feature of um, type hinting because um, he likes Rust very much um, because he was also saying the same like Phil was mentioning because uh, he don't want to write too much of unit tests when he can compile, when he was compiling, he can see the errors in that particular time itself. That's one of the reasons he was mentioning. I don't know how much um, uh, that will affect uh, the PHP with the scalar types.
3: It's it's really, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, a similar process. It's just that it happens runtime instead of compile time. Uh, and if you're running unit tests, that means you're catching it early, which is even better. Yeah, sure. Well,
0: I'm also, glad to have... some... sorry, carry on, Harry.
2: Also, sometimes uh, people used to uh, write uh, in value objects nowadays, like string, uh, int, to make an int, uh, some people use uh, some certain value object and you can pass in a string and verify whether it's an int or something like an email as
0: a value object. Uh, this is somewhat similar to that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm hinting for election, like yeah. hinting for an email, for example, is a great you know way to do DDD stuff. But yeah, I've seen people being forced to to wrap something in a string or an int just because they want to be sure that it's a string or an int. Then you have to make this bullshit string object just to make sure that it is. Or eh, it's it's all just really silly. So I'm pretty excited to see this come. And what I'm having a really hard time understanding is people freaking out about it on internals, but. I guess I shouldn't be particularly shocked or amazed that some people are being a little bit nuts about it. Um, That'd be interesting. If we're, if we're going to ask you to put money on this, would you would you put money on it getting in or being denied? I think, uh,
3: yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, basically, we've had uh, Taylor come on the board several times and every single time has been voted down. I think this is the first one that I think that has a, a real possibility simply because it's opt-in. Uh, none of the others before will really truly opt-in. Uh, so I think this may actually have a, a more of a chance. I just don't know. There's a bunch of stalwarts who really, really hate this idea, uh, no matter how much it might improve the code. Um, I probably should get on the list and make the analogy to um, Perl at some point because I don't think anybody else is going to bring it up. <laughs> Um, so,
1: so Pearl's kind of a weird example too, because I think it has a lot of respect from like the old school PHP guys, but all, the new guys see it as this old dead thing, right? So maybe right. it would help that case.
3: Yeah, in this case it may, because you know, I know yeah. that Rasmus and Stas and the beginning have all had some Pearl background in the past, so they might be interested, and in, that might be enough to sway
0: them, but we'll see. I feel like that's a pretty good point to wrap it up. We don't have any questions from the crowd this time. Uh, apart from some, some nattering and IRC. But most of that seems to be talking about how stoned I look and about my turtle. So I think we're off the hook <laughs> as far as questions go this time around.
1: All right. Uh, one more thing. So we had Sunshine PHP come up this week or probably around the time people actually listen to this on Onigo. Uh I know you and I are going to be there, right, Phil? Um, I'll right be there, fair. Matthew? And Harry?
2: No, I'll ask. I don't have anything to add on. Um, thank you for inviting me to
1: uh, the uh, PHP Town Hall. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Harry. We we appreciate it. And uh, I hope and you're not learning too hard time. in the middle of the sun right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, when speaking straight, it will be easy. But um, in a video or audio, it's hard uh, to digest. <laughs> Because uh, my na- native language is not English also. So it's hard for me to uh, make it clear. Um, to speak yeah. also,
0: I don't used to speak. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, you, you did good. We understood you pretty well. Better than I understand
0: Phil. Usually. That's true. No one knows what I'm <laughs> saying half the time. We have one episode where it was uh, transcribed. And it's not what I said. <laughs> uh, so great. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Uh, thanks, Harry. And thank you, uh, Matthew. And I will see uh, two of you. Uh, next week, end of the week, this week. Shit. This fucking week, man. we Miami. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Are you wearing your white suit? Because I was thinking about buying a white suit for the cruise. No, but I am going to be wearing. Um, I, I'm staying at this really cool hostel with a pool and a bar by the pool. Why would um, you stay um, at a hostel? Well, because I didn't you... have any money after buying the ticket. I mean, offered you my couch well that was after I'd bought the awesome hostel but there's, there's this really no it's a really cool place and it's right by the beach and they do bike rentals so I'm going to cycle to the conference oh that's right cool, in the morning. All right, that's cool. Um, so I'll, I'll turn up wearing like a sweaty vest and I'll just hang out like that you'll <laughs> just be
1: gripping sweat
0: and tequila pretty much yeah I'll be sweating out tequila that's generally how it works when I'm in Miami cool. so on that note uh, a wonderful mental image for everybody and uh, I will I'll, well, we'll talk to you on the next podcast
1: Have fun. Right. thanks everyone later